listening to season two of Pod. We are sisters, one West Coast, one East Coast, one straight mom of toddler twins, one gay, uh, multiply divorced, <laughs> one lifelong gag of the Chrissy fan, one new reader. Season one got the two of us through the first shitty year of COVID. Follow along with us for season two as we drink and sometimes remember to talk about the book. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Praropod. Praropod. All righty. And it's actually a Praro. It's actually a Praro story this time. Praro. So today, um, and it's called Evil Under the Sun, which was published in 1940, as according to the notes that my lovely sister put up. But even though it's 1940, World War II never happened. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing, nothing about World nothing. War II at all. It is definitely escapism. And I wonder like, if that was on purpose or something, but it was definitely like, what war? What Nazis? Right. We're at the beach and it's beautiful and nothing bad. I mean, bad things happen, but you know. Not war not, things. Not war things. No indiscriminate Just killing. murder things, which is, you know, but just, related to related to war, but not the same thing. Killing so, individuals on purpose as opposed to masses of people. Well, As Portia points out, all of these stories are always like at someone's manor during like a, a party where everyone's being hosted or on vacation. And this one is Praro on vacation. In the southern part of Britain in Devon uh, on the beach, which they actually make it sound like. I'm so glad know. you said De- Devon because my american washington dc brain knows people in they who go by the name devon and i'm just like that doesn't sound like a place <laughs> like yeah i got i know people named devon oh nope that's not how you say that that's not how you say the Devin. coast of britain yeah Devin. <laughs> which the weather there sounds like uh portland in the summer like it gets up to you know maybe 80 people yeah. are sunbathing it's also people are yeah, sunbathing, but not all the time because it's not always warm enough, and you got to be in the sun. Right. Nobody want. Yeah, yeah. But they do go swimming early in the morning, like ten. Which well, they're they're hardy, like Oregonians. Yeah. Also yeah, hardy. Fair. I moved fair. away. I'm not hardy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it has to be a pretty warm day for me to want to go swimming at 10 a.m. here in the summer, <laughs> especially in. And natural body of water and not a swimming pool. Right. That's right. Be in the ocean? In the Yeah. Heck no. But they also would not go swimming. They would go bathing. Right. They go, they, they I bathe. would go take a bathe. I would take a bathe. Which no. Is cool. I don't think they take a bathe. I think they bathe. They bathe. But it's different because they would. there was a whole plot thing. Right. About, about taking someone taking. Right. And I was like, how do they Versus know the difference? <laughs> Between the swimming bathing like, and the bathing bathing, I had the same question because I like one of those things where like you're learning a foreign language and you don't understand the nuance. It feels like that, right? Like where you're just like, 
Well, how I do you know what it means swimming and how do you know what it means washing? <laughs> I couldn't tell. Because <laughs> so it was a, a major plot point. point was the secret bath. <laughs> I'm so thing. glad you brought that up. <laughs> right. I was hurting my brain too. And I was like, this is my first language. <laughs> Which now would be come, come to it and we'll have to, but why didn't she just go in the ocean? That's a great point. That's a now great that point. I think about it. Oh my gosh. Okay, we're we're skipping ahead, but no, that's no, a great point. Ahead. I didn't think of that. Okay. So Okay. Um Hiroku Praro is on vacation and he meets a as we all as he always does, but this time he's actually in still in England. Um he meets a variety of travelers who are all primarily English. There's a couple of um Americans there who the audio book reader really goes in on these accents. <laughs> oh yeah oh my gosh i was wondering how she was written because the dialect on her the way he does her voice and the husband as well it's hilarious by the way i so it's pledge week this week at our npr station this is going to relate i'm your like what the hell does that have to do with anything you said pledge week i was like (laughs) are you joining a sorority (laughs) (laughs) no npr tote bag come on right 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 so the reason i mention this is that usually when i walk to work or i or drive i listen to npr but on pledge week it drives me crazy because i'm right. like oh it drives I, me I, so I, crazy yeah i draw i already donate can i just skip this part right anyway so um Kojo Namdi, who uh is a local uh he has a local show in the in the dc npr um, he said to a friend of mine who was on his show once, he calls it the Begathon. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's definitely. I can't. Sorry, I got up and I didn't warn you. I, it must suck to work there because they'd be like, you have the shift where you have to say for four hours the same phone number, you know. Like, right. Or whatever sure show so that you fun. happen to host. And normally you're doing like interesting journalism. And like this time you're like, I'm just begging people for money. Yeah over and over again and you have to just riff on it yeah it sounds like a terrible gig for that part you know except for you know like people are like oh you get to be a journalist you get to do this and they're like yeah except for four times a year when i have to beg people for money (laughs) please call you know yeah so anyway but the my point is is that i thought oh i don't want to listen to this I'll buy the audiobook. And I was walking already and I was like, I'll just get the audiobook. So I saw it said audiobook. It wasn't an audiobook. Because an audiobook, they say every word in the book. Uh-huh. They just have one guy read it to you. But this they had different actors for Oh, every... I hate that. You know, I do the audiobooks, but when I get those versions, a lot of that one um website I'm always um Referencing book.audio.hackers.downloadavirus.org or whatever it is that has all the free stuff. That's really great, but a lot of times they'll have that version, and I can't I can't stand it. I don't want a table reading of a script. I want the book. Right, and they cut out a lot of the non-dialogue, and so I was listening to it going, wait, what? Wait, what? And then so I had to go back and reread the book. Because oh, that's annoying. Like, we're, I was missing, so it was weird. So I, I, it was interesting to see what they cut, you know. Yeah. But, I, but yeah, I was like, 
damn it, I spent four ninety nine on this. <laughs> That's was... so annoying. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, but yeah, they had a different actor. But this one started with the American woman babbling. So they cut <laughs> the whole description of the hotel because it was a, on Smuggler's Island, the Jolly Roger Hotel, which sounds like a romantic pirate thing. Which again, um, just having coming from having done recently, and then there were none. That's it's very similar. Where it's like, remember how it was like Indian yeah. Head Island, and it was it was very similar in that setup. I don't yeah. know the girl place though. In uh, Devon, yeah, I don't know. So anyway, so the characters that he meets, uh, so at, it's, I think it's a bigger hotel, but for the purposes of are rich people and or the story itself there is only so many people right so um uh, the marshals which this, is this, this american couple right no the, no, that's no, no, the no, no oh okay yeah that's the primary ones we need to know about the marshals so the marshals were arlena who for the longest when i was reading it i said arlita and then <laughs> <laughs> in my head but then i listened to the audiobook and they said arlena and i was like that's not an n and then i went back and it was an n i don't know why okay that happens to me all the time when i read a book i make up a pronunciation of a proper noun that i've never you know heard pronounced and then when i hear what the author intended i'm like wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it happened definitely. to me with flowers for algernon i had totally like more syllables and a different um, oh yeah you know, emphasis on the syllables or whatever and when i when i heard it was <laughs> what it was really was i was like boo that's not how you say that name In oh my head, yeah it was i this, did the same know? thing with hermione where i was like hermione i was definitely <laughs> thought it was hermione okay. well that sounds weird <laughs> hermione. <laughs> hermione or something like that I, that's what i thought anyway well, the point is arlena arlena and so arlena is a former actress who's apparently gorgeous and, and again this is why for me we were talking about before we started recording to be really paralleled with death on the nile with this like famous beautiful actor person right um but it sounded like she had gotten some money uh bequeathed to her by a rich guy she right she was, was beautiful having... she was an actress but she definitely also like was good at maybe getting money out of men so yeah she'd she'd been close friends i i'm gonna oh i almost stumbled on it i did stumble on it there was a stumble try again she uh was uh oh man i i lectured you about how to not say air quotes to do the <laughs> verbal version of it now i can't remember how to do it so-called so-called close friend or yes she was yeah. close quote close friends is that right is that what i yes. told you to do i was so opinionated yeah. when i ran when i said it now i can't remember what i said to do. <laughs> anyways yes so she was close friends with an old man who left her who bequeathed her when he died a bunch of money like fifty thousand pounds or yeah and she like kind of Oh, when we meet all the characters, she's not there, and we sort of hear everybody else kind of gossiping about her. She's there with her husband, who is he a army-ish guy? Uh, yeah, quiet, honorable, 
And and then the whole thing with him was like he apparently chooses has bad taste in women because when we find out his story, the he he has a daughter who's like teenager, fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. And there was a woman who was tried but acquitted of killing her husband. And he yeah, and that's that was his first wife. Right, right after the trial where she was. Uh, accused of killing her husband a lot of people thought she did it but she was acquitted he married her <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people were like she, questioning that choice and then and she then died she in childbirth birth, yeah then she got dialed at childbirth so obviously like 15 or 16 years ago and then like four years ago he married this actress who everybody's who a, like every, who has a, t- a bad reputation for getting around with young men and being beautiful right right so she so he kind of has a reputation of not making smart choices as it comes to women and but you're and, right. and kind of probably having a savior complex right and uh, definitely we get that more at the end but yeah and so and then but you're right the very beginning of the book is everybody talking about this woman um but we don't ever hear her describe we actually don't interact with her very much we just see her from a distance right um, and then there's this whole weird scene where they're again they're looking down upon the beach from maybe like the hotel up on the bluff or something and they're talking about this they're talking about her walking across the creek the beach and being beautiful and all the men are looking at her but of course Poirot's like I am looking at the one that is not looking at her and then someone asks him to explain what he's saying he's like it's too much for you to understand for your small brain it's just for me I just said that to be obtuse and then um and then he says something about them the bodies looking like a morgue because like people laying out sunbathing right well that's like lifeless bodies but the one who was not looking at her don't leave the people hanging is her husband like all of the men were watching this beautiful woman walk to the beach and but the only person who wasn't was her husband right so he's like i am watching the exception i'm looking to see who doesn't look Uh ah right so then um the other people there, I'm just looking at the list here. Uh, Horace Blatt, who is apparently a rich guy who wants to be the life of the party and no one likes. That's Mr. And, New Money? Yes, Mr. New Money, who apparently... Oh, man. Agatha uses... Christie hates New Money. And again, this guy, he was a caricature of a stereotype. But like also, he... he does kind of fit, because, spoiler... Turns out he's a drug dealer. His new money is not honorably earned. Right. And so that kind of fits with the whole, like, no one likes me. So maybe I'll sell drugs. Um, but yeah. But, yeah always... but, it, but it did kind of go with, like, he's, the rest of them are sitting there with their noses up and being like, we know how to act. We know how to order yeah. our martinis. We know the body language. And this guy can afford to be here, but we don't like him. And so that, you know, because yeah, clearly anyone who's... Thing doesn't have the social graces must be a drug dealer like i just thought it went with her like reinforcing class oh fair yeah thing. yeah uh major barry who we don't really care about yeah no he's just kind of a creep right he's the one who's like oh, a lot of nice looking young ladies are on the beach right <laughs> he just says something I thought that was the american guy no the american guy was just like yes dear sure dear that's great no he said one thing that was like oh he said something about people looking good uh, maybe it was even about orlena and she was like what dear and he was like nothing yes dear 
yeah. Anyway. No, but that, yeah. that major who was there alone was like the Pretty creepy, creepy old guy character. Like all he ever said was like, oh, I like to get my hands on her. I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying? <laughs> in my <laughs> in my old timey accent. <laughs> that was yeah, that was great. It's not yeah. British at all. I'm so bad at this. Rosamund Darnley, who is one of my favorite characters because she is a accomplished businesswoman who has a very fancy uh, dress shop. Um, and... Oh, I love that. And um, have you read the book? I think it's called A Time in Between. It's so good. Oh my gosh. Readers and Portia, read this book. It's actually, I think, originally written in Spanish. Um, I think it's called The Time in Between. I might be making that up. I'll ask my phone. Um, but it takes place in Spain around a war. I'm not the history person. <laughs> anyway, so it's like there's this woman who's just like working with her mom as who's a who's a tailor, and then she ends up becoming a high-end dressmaker and a spy, and it's so good. It's like a reread. It's oh. a total reread for me. It's so good. Um, okay. So, anyways, Rosamond totally like went into that lane for me. We're like someone who's totally self-made, and oh my gosh, I just I just loved her. Yeah, she was great. Um, and then it turned out that she grew up clo- uh, with um, uh, Kenneth Marshall, uh, right. who's married to the beautiful woman, uh, and uh, so like she was like super happy and then they showed up and she was like oh and then it was a little bit like well Praro figured out pretty quick he was like oh you had a thing for him and right she's like shut up no i didn't everything's fine it's just happy oh things have happened i always liked that guy you know like there was like a thing um yeah so this book just because we're this is a reading podcast it's yeah. called The Time in Between by Maria Duenas. Um, and it's so good. Do you... I'm assuming it's an Enya, although it's written in English here on my Audible. Um, just because Duenas doesn't sound like a name. Duenas? Yeah, Duenas. Duenas. So it's, it's, you know, in <laughs> yeah, but it's D-U-E-N-A-S in English. D-U-E-N-A-S. Okay, okay. But the Time in Between. Yeah. Um, okay. So good. Anyways, I highly recommend that. It's like totally up this alley of like spies and espionage and women gaining their independence and all the things that we like about those oh, things. Cool. Period okay. pieces, the whole thing. Okay, the whole thing. Um, what are you going to impress us and tell us that you originally read it in Spanish? Absolutely not. I okay. after my undergrad have rarely tried to read things in, in Spanish. And um, so for the listeners, I did have my undergrad in Spanish literature. So I did read Cervantes in Spanish. Whew! And a bunch of uh, Mexican literature as well. Um, and some other Latin American, but, but primarily Mexican and some a whole bunch of boring old Spanish stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's challenging you know because like there's so many words that when you read in your first language that you kind of get from the context clues but that's so much harder if you're not like regularly working in that language and so right now my spanish is mostly really good about physical therapy topics <laughs> <laughs> where you've been practicing yeah although that so should be good like that'd be a good cognitive exercise for me to like maybe if i got some like um spanish ya 
So it's a little bit easier language and not like trying to read like where people are doing literature. So they're doing fancy words on purpose, but it'd be good for me to push my brain that way. But no, I just read it in English. So no, I'm not, I was not trying to humble brag with that at all. Okay. Okay. Fair, fair, fair. All right. Back to this book. Okay, so now we have the Redferns. And so Patrick is the husband and Christine is the wife. Patrick is apparently incredibly hot. Um, Christine, they described as pretty in a washed out way. And I think the difference was because they were comparing Christine with Arlena. And Arlena was tall, dark, and beautiful. And Christine was blonde and ashy blonde like so that washed out and super pale thank you thank you very much i appreciate that (laughs) oh you're not talking about me (laughs) (laughs) every the whole time when they were like her ashy blonde hair and her very 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 pale skin and i was like it is me yes i am that (laughs) well and i think that one of the things she was seemed different from a lot of the other women because uh this was apparently before anyone had ever heard of skin cancer and everyone just sunbathed like no tomorrow. And, um, and so Arlena was very dark because of lying out in the sun. And uh, Christine does what we do, which is go, Oh God, I'm going to get cancer and covers herself up like all of her arms and legs she would go out swimming, but if she wasn't swimming, she would just have the um, loose floppy. They called them at one point. I thought it was funny. Swimming pajamas. Oh, and I, I was like, that. Huh. Uh, but I was like, you know, those loose floppy uh, pants that right. you put yeah, on. Yeah, those like cover flowy, yeah. flowy cover up. Yeah. Actually, yeah. you had a different impression than I did. Cause I kind of thought that she wasn't described as particularly attractive it was more like Prower was like, I approve. She seems sensible. No, because some people said like, oh, she's pretty, but okay, she's nothing compared to Arlena. And then the contrast in like dark versus light. And right. looked, you know, Which pale. again, to me, brought a similarity with that death on the Nile. Right, right. You know, right. we're like, oh, she's the moon, but who can notice the moon when the sun is out sort of thing, right? Like she's pretty, but not compared to this bombshell right. right so then there was the american couple who just babbled a lot i don't even know how uh there was a, <laughs> now a odell rev- i'm telling you blah 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 that's how the reader did it <laughs> oh really like now i'm just saying southern? now odell i might be adding this other piece but i think it was there it was definitely that this just chatty just like blah 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 isn't that right odell mm-hmm. I, I think i'm adding more southern that's necessary i hope oh, if i do a, a voice the audio book that i accidentally got there was no southern so. it might not be southern that just be my, my brain doing that <laughs> but it was definitely like chatty lady yeah very very chatty american woman and i was like that is a stereotype that is based on some truth um uh the reverend who was so Agatha Christie's attitude about um, reverence is interesting because there's not a small amount of her reverence that are uh, crazy. Wait, what? There was the one who didn't turn out to have done it. Well, I'm thinking the one, like uh, the one um, whose wife 
was pregnant at the end of the book and it was super happy fun times that was fine yeah you're right he was fine fine. he was the protagonist and you're like is he gonna be the killer but she just did that in the last book so he wasn't the killer that was the you know the one with the doctor was the killer and then the reverend wasn't and he was like a protagonist like he was not a uh what's the what's the term for pretend there was the pretend reverend in man in the brown suit who was way too uh yeah, but he was a spy pretending to be a reverend. Right, right. But there was, I feel like there's a little bit of a healthy skepticism of like people who are way too religious and therefore judgmental. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. But this guy was, and apparently had gotten so that he was locked up in a institution for a period of time. We find that he was out, right. Angry at women for being Jezebels. And we got this whole insight into this because in the very first or one of the first scenes, there's several scenes where like Praro and homies are like sitting out looking at the beach. You forget which one is which scene. But at some point they were talking about, oh, Mr. Praro, you're not here on business, right? You're not here because there's been a murder. And he's like, no, I'm just here on vacation. And then someone's like, no, who could, who could, you know, there couldn't be a murder here. It's too picturesque. And Praro says one of his like quotable lines that's like, there's evil everywhere under the sun, hashtag title. And, um, you know, breaks a fourth wall, looks at camera. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And then the priest is like, when everybody, like, when things kind of clear out after that, the priest goes up to him and he's like, so you think there's evil everywhere? I think there's evil everywhere. Everybody's crazy and bad, right? The devil's everywhere. Satan consumes me. Wait, what? Sorry, I'm just like, <laughs> order another cocktail (laughs) he let it slip out a little bit there he let (laughs) right right yeah totally yeah and then it what's interesting is that emily brewster and rosamund darley darnley i don't think we're different ages so emily brewster is a woman who is there alone just like rosamund but rosamund is cool and Emily is a spinster. What the hell? Yeah, you're right. They're probably around the same age, but but it's sort of that like, you know, to our age or to to our generation, or at least us in our generation, we're like, thirty five is young, forty is young, blah, blah blah. Like Rosamond's just like, you know, she's just a young woman. She's just barely forty, right? Or you could be like, oh my god, she was forty. She was a cat lady. She never had a date, right? So you can look at that same person, and I think they're probably supposed to be around, let's let's say, mid-30s to 40s. Um, but yeah, so they're sort of like, the book is taking both of those perspectives. So Rosamond, who's a dressmaker, and she's a business person, and she's self-made, is young and interesting and looking for love. And uh, what's the other one's name? Emily Brewster. Emily, I think, is a dyke, or <laughs> at least not feminine. She's oh, she's not interested in men. She's she's if not a lesbian, then she's dykey and not not feminine. She's like, I'm going out for a row. You got to work on my cardiovascular. You could just picture this like. <laughs> right. She did talk about working out a lot. So yeah, I think you're right. That's what I was just thinking. I'm like, wait a minute. Why is one of her? Both of them are single women who are vacationing on the spot, but one of their singleness was like noted. And the other one wasn't. And I think it's, it wasn't her singleness that was her noted. It was her being straightness that was noted. Well, yeah. And I think Rosamond was like, 
ooh, you know, young and hopeful and all the things where it was like Emily. Yeah. Emily was just like, you know, a cat lady when she was 20 because she's not marketing to men. You know, she wants to go for a row. She wants to talk about her health. She wants to, she's judging, she's judging all the young ladies who are out there doing feminine things. So if she's not gayish, then she's like out there glorious dynaming and disapproving of the women and their frivolous femininity kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a definitely anti-gayness of this kind of the way she was described. Yeah. Cause we don't like her. She's unlikable. And right? we she's love con- Rosamond, but like, right. she's, she's not, she's, she's not smart. Like exactly. Like, I don't know why I don't like her. I like masculine women or athletic women like those are my friends or people who would date but she's not painted in anything that's positive right so i think that is agatha being like i i want to put a gay character in here but i don't want you to like her so, yeah or or that she she just doesn't like like that kind of a person who's not doing right. the feminine thing so that's right. interesting right and yeah. as we get into our themes we're talking about how she like this is the second time that she kind of beats up on the bombshell person right you know and and through this book like you know the bombshell person kind of takes a beating in the same as death on the nile so we don't like the hyper femininity and people who use their femininity for you know male gaze or whatever it is but we also don't like women who are not interested in those things at all right you got to be in the perfect lane of like just attractive enough or just interested in male attention enough wow no pressure Come on, Agatha. <laughs> Seriously, like you know, that's that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, to fit in the perfect lane, Jesus. Anyway, so that's all the characters, and I don't even know if we've talked to you know that's so much that who knows. So anyway, that's uh, so all yeah. basically you need to know about the characters. Right. Those are all the major players. Right. There was a there was a uh, one of the chambermaids, hotel chambermaids that we talked to, but that's okay. We'll but these are all the like rich people. So anyway, everybody for the beginning of the story is everybody's sitting on the beach or sitting on the cliff looking down at the beach for quite a while. And we meet all the characters. Including... Have all this philosophical, philosophical. Oh, man. Nope. Not oh, a word. Help me out. Word. Uh, philosophical. Philosoph- yeah, I did it. <laughs> I know English. I, I, you're right. Cause I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I was like philosophy adjective. <laughs> Yeah. philosophical emphasis on the syllable <laughs> English good job okay so they're having all these conversations so through that we're getting all these who hates the woman who's getting attention who feels sorry for the downtrodden wife when we see that you know the attention of our super pale blonde you know sort of like attractive but not enough wife character her husband is clearly chasing after and very interested in the also married bombshell character who's married to that uh, military husband. And then we, we feel sorry for him because it looks like he's a dummy because his wife is giving attention to all of these men, especially this other, you know, this other woman's husband. And so there's the clearly teenage... like a love polyhedron happening there. Right. And then the teenage daughter is resentful of her stepmother Right. And it's like, I'm not having any fun. Why am I here? 
right and there's a bunch of little conversations about like the two different um couples saying oh did you know they were going to be here no i didn't you know kind of conversations and then uh Praro definitely sees that the husband of one and wife of another you know like with each other right right he overhears like the bushes them. or something or you know and one thing i did like about the portrayal was in the same way that I'm going to say the right one, make the right reference. What, who are not the Death Eaters, but the other, the good guys? Uh, the Order? The Order, yeah, The Order of the Phoenix. In that yeah. book, don't read J.K. Rowling, she's a transphobe, but I'm also a huge Harry Potter fan. There it is. But right. in The Order of the exactly. Feelings, Harry Potter's portrayal as a angsty teenager is so annoying that I hate reading that book because it's so good. Because I right. like hate him and it makes me remember being like that and I just it's cringy because it's so well written because it's such a good portrayal of being an AC teenager and I think the portrayal of this teenager falls in that lane yes it's easy to overdo it or underdo it and I think it really falls in the lane of realistic big teen feels yeah she was having yeah and and they describe her where and one of the oh god I wish I had written down the quotes where she's just like they describe her as having really big feelings. You can't just have a small feeling, which when you're a 16 year old, it's true. Like I can, you know, and I've definitely have that happen like my life is over, you know, because yeah. this happened. And then you, it's not until later that you realize your life actually isn't over. You know, it was yeah. just, uh, but at the time you have very big feelings. That's the difference between me and 16-year-old me. It's not that much. I'm not that much more sure, but it just I didn't die so many times that my brain at some <laughs> level was like, well, you probably won't die because you haven't yet. Right. <laughs> For those things like... that feel like you're going to die. But at that age, you just haven't had the experience of not dying yet, of embarrassment or... Right. Or you know, my life will never all be happy fields. again because I caught COVID and my big birthday party had to be moved and everything had to be moved and never will be happy again. You can have big feels about that. Let's tell them. Let's tell them about it. So, yeah. guys, I was supposed to... This, this episode should have been recorded in person. Super drunk after Portia's 50th birthday extravaganza. After a day where we had a rented Porsche and tra- drove around and Porsche's very sweet husband had arranged for a, a car rental of a Porsche which is like a dream of hers to drive Porsche in a Porsche ha <laughs> ha see it and she like hates the reference <laughs> but is going with it so that's like you know why not right. right so he'd rented to have a Porsche for her and then she and I were going to go shopping, pick her the perfect outfit. We'd arranged this luxury spa day for the two of us. It was going to be amazing. And and then the next day was her party and, and everything. And I was supposed to come to town. But then... Two days before this, Annika, my daughter, tested positive for COVID. And by the time of the party, because I'm not quarantining for my two-year-old daughter and wearing a mask and putting her in a be- room by herself so two <laughs> days later i had the whole it. family the whole family had it but and, si- and symptomatically right you guys were all symptomatically sick. we were all sick 
Um, and so like literally at the time that my party would have happened, I was aching so badly. I could not move and I was in bed. And I always remember being like, oh, this is when my party would have happened. Oh, and you I- poor thing. You should have big feels about that. I had big feels. I was so upset. I was literally at work with my luggage, ready to go to the airport from work. Right. You sent me the text about it. And so we were just both so bummed, so disappointed. And it's your 50th. It's not a little deal. It's a milestone. And it's like supposed to be so-called, quote, <laughs> trying to do what I told you to do. It's still not easy. Um, you know, less covid now or whatever, but it's still ruining plans. Right. So we're, I'm trying again. Uh, we're going to do a month later party. I don't, but it's funny because I haven't really checked the RSVPs and I haven't really, because I feel silly having a party. This did you week. update the invite and tell people when it's rescheduled for? Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I did a whole thing. Um, but I kind of feel silly and I'm afraid that no one will come now because it's be like, you know, like almost a month after my birthday and, you know, Still like. Still you're 50. That's a big deal. We were both talking about our experience of like remembering watching for Oprah's 50th birthday on TV and like what a big deal that was. Oh my and God, like I was, yeah. you know, much, I don't know how old she is now, but like it was, I, you know, I wasn't even anywhere close to that, but I still remember it being such a huge deal. Right. So anyway, I, yeah, so, but it, but it, I had a lot of big feels, but then was really trying not to teenage and feel sorry for myself. You know, I was really trying hard. I think it's okay to hug your inner teenager and be like, this totally sucks. It is ruining your life. So, um, but anyway, it, 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 so it definitely did not turn out the way I thought, but there's definitely this, like, this sucks never gonna have that because I was you know I mean and like literally I told the kids aunt Amanda will be here tomorrow but then they were excited I were I was excited aunt B was coming it was all happening but then we had to say well we have the germ (laughs) is that what you call it (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it sounds so big brother (laughs) the germ (laughs) There's a Bernstein Bears book about the reason you wash your hands and <laughs> cover your mouth when you cough and sneeze is because of germs. So we said we got a bad germ. We got COVID. <coughs> we, we did use the word COVID, um, but you know, like, but we were trying to relate it to the, you know, like this is yeah. why we wash our hands. And, and to like remind that. listeners, they're almost three, so it makes sense to simplify things. But the like, germ, the it ch- just sounds so. Like, I, well, I've, I've consumed too much like, dystopian things to be like oh you have after, the germ after four days they were like Woo, let's go out let's go to a park let's go see people why can't people come over and we're like yeah no we can't do that because... we have the germ kids <laughs> <laughs> and and then they would say i'm not feeling bad anymore and i would say oh honey i know but we have to make sure that it's all gone before we see people and did you and- um did you uh what is the book I got them the like public health for babies? Uh pandemics book? for babies, yeah. But that one like, doesn't talk about what happens if asymptomatic. You get it. So you can be Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because they have all these like fancy terms and then we're talking to babies. It's like, what does asymptomatic mean, kids? 
You might not feel bad, frowny emoji, (laughs) but you still have the germ. (laughs) (laughs) But that book, because I've read it several times, doesn't talk about what happens when you yourself have it. Just talks about in general public health, like we wear masks and wash our hands so we don't spread it. But it doesn't say, and if you have it, you have to stay home and you can't see you're more and more if my... they, need a, they need a revision after all we've been through because i'm sure we've learned a lot about pandemics for baby information right now totally. you know oh anyway. man so big feelings the point is we all the have point our is your inner 15 year old is very upset totally. bringing it back to the book this 15 year old is also having big feels right because she feels like uh arlena is ruining everything and she likes Christine and mostly I think she just feels like Arlena doesn't really pay attention to her so it's not like she's mean but she doesn't really pay attention to her but I think because you know she's just the average awkward teenager with having such a beautiful sexy bombshell stepmother she feels overshadowed and probably that right you know feminine feminine inadequacy that we have all experienced totally totally so like you don't really feel like when you read it you're like Arlene is not really your problem. It's just being a woman in the world. <laughs> this right, is, but also you know, because later you'll have Instagram and you'll also make you feel this way. Don't worry. But she's but attributing she it to. She gets along Alina. with both Rosamund and uh, Christine. Right. And I think they both do a better job of like talking to her like a person. Because of as somebody who works with teenagers, it's the more you can treat them like they're adults, even when they're having big feelings, you know, then they feel better and it kind of helps honor where they are. But Oh, totally. And I don't think that Arlena was doing a good job with her, but I also think as stepmother relationship goes, tepid and non-confrontational is a lane that's not that damaging. No, right. Exactly. Yeah. Arne- it's kind of like, oh, there she is. We're not that close. Dad right. seems to like her is is Elaine and like and right, it kind of right. like what we were talking about earlier about relationships between mothers and daughters I feel like stepmother and daughter bonding might be pretty hard which is different from right. the other Rosamond and Christine because they're coming in as this you know friend role and I feel like the stepmother I'm just in our leader's right. defense I just right. feel like right. her choosing the like hey kid shoulder you know <laughs> bump on right. the shoulder like hey you know, have a good day or, you know. It, right, right, right. Totally. So that's the whole setup. And then. <laughs> we just got to the setup. It's, we just got to set up. We also forever. have to we say one thing. I think up. that the hotel itself is on a cliff. And then there was a couple of, like, there's the main beach in front of the hotel. And then there was one cove, because it's an island, that faces west. And Again, one it's cove. interesting, right? She's combining and then there were none elements being on this isolated island yeah, with and then definitely Nile yeah. elements. So yeah, so we're on an island and there's these different beaches and different coves. So there's like the main beach, which I know they didn't say where it faced, but Gull Cove faced well, actually I can't remember. Gull Cove had morning sun and Pixie Cove had afternoon sun. That's going to be important. The sun rises uh, in the east, I know that. i'm very bad at directions but i know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west um and then uh pixie cove was kind of more 
you, the way you could get to Pixie Cove is a little bit harder because it was either you had to go down a rickety like ladder or row there like around the um, island in like the right. You so you ocean. go via water in a boat or you climb down like from a pretty high cliff or at least bluff or something with this rickety ladder. Right. So they make all these references to being like, if you weren't good at heights, you wouldn't be able to go down there. And Christine, she's so bad at heights. She, you know, like they keep making all these references to that, that Emily, right. right. Emily and Christine are, are not good with heights. And then, um, and then there was a little cave in there and Patrick apparently had come as a kid to this place before it was a hotel and then Pixie Cove had a little cave, um, which there was a very unpro moment because they he gets there and he has to go in the boat, which he's like, I don't like ladders or boats. So he complains about that, but he gets there. And then there's like a skinny entrance to the cave and they're like, it doesn't even look like you could go in. And then it's deceptively, you could go in. And then pro goes into the cave. And I was yeah. thinking, that's very unpro of him. Yeah, but it's important that he does because he smells perfume in there. But like, I was a little bit like, really, right? You you wanted him to be more uh, fussy about it. Like he squeezed in and frowned and turned up his nose or brushed right, off his. Right, and earlier, Mrs. Miss Brewster, Emily Brewster, had talked about how he should work out because he was a little rotund. So how the hell did he squeeze into the cave? Right. Anyway. And then right. didn't complain about it, but anyway, so I, that annoyed me because I was like, yeah. Come on, stay consistent, people. Anyway, but apparently, so, for the people who were local to the area, there was this cave, and it was called Pixie Cove because it was one of those like I don't know my British Fay Wiccan stuff, but it seemed yeah, like along those tales, lines yeah. where they were like they were like there's pixies and there's fays and things like that. And they live in this cave. And so the, the locals would talk about that. And there was like this secret cave that, that you almost wouldn't even see if you were just a tourist on the beach. Right. But because Patrick was from around there, he had spoken to it. Right. So then we get to the, the dip morning of, and so there's a couple of, so first of all, the teenager who, by the way, is Linda, we forgot to say, gets up weirdly early for a teenager and like goes to the part shop and buys something and is all super weird about it. Um, and then lies and, about it and says she's going for a swim, but instead goes to, to right. the shop. And then she was going to Gull Cove with Christine Redfern, blonde wife. And yes, hello. Chris- I'm here. <sighs> Sorry, I'll stop saying that. <laughs> um, but then, um, so Christine was sketching and was like covered in her like loose pajama things. They called it, I don't, that, anyway, as I said, I was like, ooh, pajamas. Um, and then um, Linda would sunbathe and then swim and then sunbathe and then swim. And then, um, but everybody else, uh, oh, and then Poirot goes down to the beach. <coughs> and this is like 10 a.m.-ish. Oh, wait, uh, pause. Yeah. Just slightly more background. In the overhearing before this moment, we figured out, because Poirot overhears, that it's not just an interest. Uh, Arlena and Patrick are sleeping together. Mm-hmm. They're meeting up. And he's all like, 
I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I need to figure out how to leave my wife and all the things. So Praro has overheard that and knows like it. So it's not just an incident. Because there's all these like kind of gossipy things on the beach where it like seems like they're sleeping together and people are kind of speculating on it. But then we get confirmation. Right. So just wanted to set that tone so that we know that, you know, because we keep seeing them go off together. But in the conversation that Patrick has with his wife, when we overhear Christine and Patrick, she's like, why did you have me come here if you knew she was going to be here? You guys are sleeping together. And he's like, what? I can't have friends. You know, like, I just have a friend. If we're going to we're never going to survive as a couple because they're supposed to only be married like a year or less. They're they're pretty newlyweds. And so he's like, how are we ever going to survive as a couple if you, you know, get so jealous every time I just see another woman? So we know that he's but from from the things that Prower overhears, we know both that he is having an affair with Arlena and that his wife is jealous, but he's denying it. Right. 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 We don't know if Mr. Army Man knows about it. Right. If the Mr. Marshall. But we know that our friend who we like. Rosamond. Rosamond, which is not a name. Rosamond. That's what Mm -hmm. I kept catching in my brain. That Rosamond is like he, she has a moment with him where she's like, dude, why don't you leave her? You know, she's clearly cheating on you and you know, she's stupid anyway. And why are you with her? And he kind of does this like noble, like I made a commitment. I keep to my word. Yeah. Kind of thing. Right. So, so that's just um, a little bit more background. Okay. Back flash forward. We're back to okay. day of the murder. Okay. So it's this morning. And so Pro Rose on the beach and like 10 30 in the morning, that comes out. It's all this like secret smile on her face and she's like, Don't tell anybody where I've gone. And he's like, Okay, you know. And so she She takes off in a in a in my head she's in a kayak, but I don't think they had kayaks, but like some kind of a boat by herself. Right, right. So she's gone. And then her husband and the dude she's having an affair with both are on the beach swimming and they're like, Hey, where's Arlena? Both of them. And he's like I don't know because she had said don't tell anybody where I've gone um, because he thought that she was going to go meet Patrick because she had that look on her face um, but there's Patrick going where is she and and her husband going Kenneth going where is she and so but they're both like whatever and then there's this really weird period of time where Patrick does the whole looking back at the hotel everybody's every time someone comes onto the <laughs> beach he's like <gasps> That's well written. Yeah, where you're—he's just like, is it her? No. What about now? No. <laughs> and he's starting to get like hostile and grumpy, and um, people more and more people are coming out to the beach as he's not there until finally, he's like, uh, uh I want to go in a boat, Miss Brewster, come with me, and it's the most contrived. Like it is so obviously contrived on top of contrived where he's right. like he's like, Have you been for your daily row yet? You like to go rowing. Let let's us go, go together, together in the boat. I just <laughs> thought of that. And so they do, and he immediately is like, Let's row this way towards Pixie Cove. And <laughs> and she's like, You're looking for Arlena, aren't you? Whatever. Okay, fine. And then 
she they see Arlena lying on Pixie Cove, but it's quarter to twelve, and Pixie Cove is in the not, shade. In, it's so in it's the shade. It's kind of cold over there, so it would be weird to laying on the beach. It wouldn't be until later that it would have sun. So you're like, why is she laying in the shade? And then they look closer, and they're like, she's laying like you know a dead body, not like a sunbather. Right. But, the, and so, the, but her big floppy sunbathing hat is over her face so you can't see that she's dead but you're like why are her limbs at odd angles oh god is she dead and so then he goes up and looks under the hat and is like, they row oh god, in he runs up and like she's like she's dead she's been strangled so then emily and so they uh, he, emily is relieved that he was like i'll stay with her and so uh then she's like Emily okay. goes for help and then yeah Patrick Which, stays and, and she has to row because she's not going up the the ladder because she can't do heights so right. she has to row back so she rows back to get help and then they get everybody back and and then you know Arlena was strangled with very big hands they huge hands again. the huge biggest hands, hands ever <laughs> Seeing the size of these hands. Oh my god, that's my um kind of crude joke that I got somewhere and that I always use. I literally think I got this from somebody in high school. That like if you make the joke, you're like, yeah, she has. When you're trying to describe someone, mm-hmm. and maybe they have a prominent feature, and you're like, you know, the one with the really big hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding my hands in front of my chest as if they were large breasts. <laughs> If you do this gesture, but then you say really big hands, it's like a joke on being like, I'm not. Anyways, it's 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 a totally stupid joke, but that's what yeah, I I kept thinking about that when we were texting about the size of the hands and the strangulation. Well, then, <laughs> the huge they, hands. Because the, then, you know, like, because then the uh, pro and then this inspector who's like a local guy they don't bring in Scotland Yard. They talk about it, but they don't. But the local guy and Poirot were like talking about how this couldn't be a woman. A woman couldn't do this. It couldn't be a woman. Women do poison. Women do arsenic. Women do this. This couldn't be a woman. And it actually, I started to get my feminist tackles up where I was like, what? Women can physically murder someone with their hands. They don't have to just do like arsenic in the coffee come on and then i was like why are you mad at this why are you mad at but there just felt like there was a whole scene of yeah there was like... a lot of that discussion you're right but they, at some point they did say you know that big old dyke emily she could have done it she rows every day she's she's dykey and she'd be rowing so she got those huge old man hands but she was on the beach all morning and then she got in the boat and found the body so there's no window of time when she could have done it so they do it at some point be like it could have been if it was any woman it'd been that not woman enough woman Okay, I just want to say, Bert, if there's any new listeners, my, <laughs> my sister is gay. I would never use the term dyke in the way that she would because. Uh, Sorry. It, it, so I just want to say, there's a. I was like, it's in the it, intro. Don't I say I'm gay in the intro? I can't remember, but. You definitely just, say you know, it. Okay. Just saying, okay, right. Just, I'm sorry for using terms that people might find offensive. <laughs> I would never use that term in that way. I was talking about, but I just, okay, I just have to say that. All right. 
Am All I right. making you uncomfortable? <laughs> I don't even use that term, but there's something about the descriptor of her. Like, right. again, like, sort of like the way that she's painted as a, like, you know, Athletic not even our on D, but something, someone like sporty, more, sportier. Sporty. Huh? More athletic, yeah. Yeah, athletic just like, spinster, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the way she's, I keep using that word just because of the way she's portrayed. I don't typically say dyke that much. <laughs> Right, yeah. So I'm just but I one of those like I'm gonna go in a know. row pro row you could use to stand a few. You wanna you wanna come on this uh we're gonna go like <laughs> Yeah, totally. So um what was I gonna say? So anyway, uh <laughs> totally lost yeah, so she was strangled with very large hands and there was a whole discussion about whether a woman could do that and oh yeah anyway mostly no so, mostly that is not the female psychology they they like to do the arsenic in the coffee yeah so now we have to come to the alibis so Time let's a take break. a chance to have a break um and we'll be back in just a moment okay okay Hello. Okay, we are back from our break. And Portia has chocolate. Oh. <laughs> Portia has chocolate and Amanda is jealous. All right. I ate all my chocolate. I, I had a you know thing I was preparing for last night that I had to do today, and so I ate all of the chocolate that I had last night. So now uh, I have it. Fair. All right, let's solve okay. this. Okay, so now we have the investigation. So we interview anybody, and we had to get a picture of everybody was that morning. So um, the husband, who of course is the first suspect, we know from reading all of the Agatha Christie books, the, the first suspect. Also just, uh, I think all media? Fair, fair. Tells all us media. that it always ends up to be the husband, right? So he was typing letters in his hotel room. Right, so we know he was on the beach looking for her, but at some point he went back up to the hotel. Right. And, and when then... he's interviewed, he does this whole thing about like, I'm, I was going to postmark these letters, but I didn't actually end up sending them because everything that happened. So if you take these letters and have your analysts see how long they would take someone to type, you'll see that I couldn't have left because it would have taken enough time. And you're, and I, you know, even if you're trying to support him, you're like, dude, I, we don't know when you type those. You could type those yesterday. Like, right? there's no timestamp on when you hit those keys. So I was typing. Beca- and you can verify that by how long your experts say it would take to type these letters does not hold up as an alibi. Right. But then they did interview the um, chambermaid and she said she heard typing to you know like back to murder of Mar- roger Ackboy, did he have a recording of the sound right. of typing or something right. like that like that seems very but okay and then there's Maybe. a point at which rosamond was like oh he said it was typing i totally saw him typing mm-hmm. i'm not in love with him and just providing him an alibi out of the blue i totally saw him typing right and you're like uh and, then, what? and she's like and then they're like well he didn't say that you saw him she's like oh well i just opened the door and i saw he was busy and then i didn't say hi because he was busy and I just left and he didn't know I came. And then he said, oh, I totally saw her in the mirror. I totally saw her. I just didn't talk to her. I was too busy. In this way where you're like, okay, guys. Right. And that definitely turns out to be one of those things where they're both like, well, maybe you did it, but I care for you, so I'll give you your fake alibi. Right. 
Um, so then um, the Americans had just been on the beach with Perot. Rose there would be a hard to find a you know a motivation for the Americans to kill her. Rosamond, who wasn't fond of Arlena, but she didn't hate her, hate her, but she'd been reading up at the top of the cliff, like, um, uh, but she did, she is in love with her husband. Fair. So she didn't yeah. hate her, hate her, but she definitely, like, would love her. And there's definitely, they set us to suspect, set us up to suspect Rosamond because there's a conversation that she has. They're, like, literally, like, laying in the grass in the woods. Slightly sexy time. Like, oh, we're old childhood friends, but also this is a right. little bit intimate for just friends. They're right. laying in the grass, and she and Mr. Army Major Sergeant, whatever his name is, are laying there Marshall. and talking. Maybe they're not laying. Maybe it's just on a bench. Maybe it's more innocent. But in my head, they're laying in the grass. And she's like, so like, you know your wife sucks, right? You should just divorce her. And he's like, I'm an honorable man. Till death do your part. And he's like, she's like, so death would be the thing that ends it right like she were dead so they definitely walked us down enough to that think that rosamund moment. although we like her might have been like so if she was just dead then we could be together kind of thing right right so then um the black dude that nobody liked went sailing that the what the teenage dude black horse black the guy oh. yeah because even that's a terrible name too. Um, <laughs> the teenager and Christine, the blonde, washed out blonde. Because he's not a sexy blonde somehow. She's a washed out blonde, but whatever. Yes. Um, they went to Gull Cove. So remember, that was the one that faced, uh, that had sun in the morning. Right. So they went to Gull Cove together. Christine is on the beach in all of her covered upness um, and painting. And uh, Linda. this kid's name Linda. <laughs> um, Linda is swimming and they're checking in with each other. And then um, and then um, the Reverend dude left and gone to some church um, off the island. Um, mm-hmm. And same for the creepy major dude. And then right. at noon, um, Christine, Rosamond, Kenneth, and Mel, the American husband, had an appointment to play tennis. Right. So remember that um, Patrick and Emily had found the body at quarter to noon, but they, but they had to row back. So nobody knew that, you know. Right. And then Emily, what was she doing? Emily was on the beach all morning, and then she rode out with him. Okay, she was on the beach all morning, but then which is she... why, even though she has those gigantic, you know, man hands, lesbian slur man hands, right? <laughs> we know that she couldn't have done it, and we, and we did right. get from her some disapproving comments. So, like, you could have. I think at some point they considered that she could have been a fanatical feminist who would just kill this woman who is such a feminine bombshell type um, for fanaticism reasons. But she was with witnesses all morning and then wrote, and then 
was you know rowing the boat when they discovered the body so it couldn't have been her she's the only woman that it could have been according to their manhand's theory of strangulation <laughs> you know just as a side note the stereotypes that these time stories have about lesbians that lesbians don't like feminine women right like, well yeah because... and like and so maybe she's not supposed to be a lesbian maybe she's more of a our mom no but i but I think she is because there's this um, stereotype or some of the anti-lesbian stuff that people had was that lesbians were anti-femininity and anti-feminine women and they wanted women to be like men and so I was just thinking about that that they we uh, they have a much more even the average straight person has a much more nuanced understanding that there's going to be different kind of people being lesbians. But back then there was definitely like, there's kind and she's mannish. And so there's, I think. Right. And she's attracted to other mannish lesbians. And the reality is to some extent, there's often still a binary where there's a more masculine person who's attracted to a more feminine person. Although we're both women female yeah yeah, yeah. so it's for, just for, interesting for those of us who are on the female side of the spectrum um and i think now there's a lot more people who are non-binary attracted to non-binaryness so maybe i think there probably was an earlier expression of that that this might be reflecting of like right. sensible pants and shoes being attracted to sensible pants and shoes there's definitely like that lane of lesbians <laughs> well and <laughs> because maybe it- as as a as a social group i would say that we do sort of disdain femininity i think that is to some degree correct because even as a femme fair you fair. sort of apologize for it because there's all the whole the straight passingness and the male gazeness and all those things so as a as a as a femme lesbian you tend to be like but i'm really gay though and so I, I, I do think that some of that is real and it's probably a, like a big Venn diagram of like the, right. you know, well, I do old remember school you... Gloria Steinem white lesbian, no, excuse me, white feminist movement and lesbianism. And there's probably a Venn diagram of like non-binariness, but they didn't have term for it then or right. just androgyny or, right. Um, right you know masculine of center as we would say now people who disdain femininity because of all the things it represents in the older culture right yeah so i I do think there is some truth to that because as a person who presents as femme i'm like yeah there is that and again i I think it's definitely more in the white lesbian world than Mm -hmm. in the broader lesbian world or sort of like if you know, or people might be afraid to mm-hmm. present as feminine because that would not give the social cues that you're gay and not and, and right. look like male gays and all those things and all the things we disapprove of. Because, like, well, and know. I was thinking about like, um, imagine trying to exist as a lesbian in British 1930s, the only way to signal was to be this as mannish as possible because how do you meet other lesbians right so i think that 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 might have been also part of it because the only thing you could do that because you couldn't be feminine and 
lesbian because then nobody no other woman would be able to find you that because the struggle of, of being a femme even now now times still fair I, <laughs> you're I, just I, like i'm literally hitting on you and like she's a nice friend and you're like no i'm literally hitting on you and they're like no i think she just wants to be sister friends and you're like no i'm literally asking you to have sex with me right now and they're like ah, she's just a femme that doesn't count so like there is that oh, thing yeah. where if you present as feminine in a, in certain ways, our brains are wired to be like, oh, she must be marketing to men. And when we see someone, and I think Agatha actually Agatha Christie does a good job in some ways of describing someone who's not marketing to men, although the book clearly has an opinion on that. Right. You know, it's so funny. I always say that when someone like when when either the culture in general or someone specific is like, what do you what do you mean she's gay? And I'm like, look at her. She's not marketing to men. Right, and sometimes there is someone who doesn't give the signals that we're looking for, but is marketing to men, like a Leslie Jones, right? You know, who I would guess was lesbian just from like her, the way she presents, like she looks like a lesbian to me. But you know, she expresses heterosexuality. I believe her, so she is marketing to men. But like, I feel like typically when I see someone with like certain markers, I'm like, yeah, they're gay. Look at that. <laughs> they're clearly not marketing to men. They're marketing to me. It's working. <laughs> Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, And by the way, on the other note about like this presenting, I just remember that one time, maybe you you were visiting me in Portland and you were on the phone to somebody back in D.C. and you said, what's annoying about being in Portland is all women seem like lesbians because (laughs) (laughs) in Portland, nobody wears makeup. We're all wearing jeans. Like, Asymmetrical haircut. Everyone's got the dyed hair. Right. So, like, saying that it was hard to, like, hey, that's frustrating, you know. It was so true. Like, everywhere you go, you're like, is she gay? Or no, that's just how everyone looks here. That's how, like, that's the look of a lesbian in D.C. I see the person who, with that style in D.C., you're like, that is a lesbian. I know that she's going to the party that I want to go to. I'm going to ask her what party she's going to. Go to Portland, at that time at least. And it was like, she might have a husband and three kids. Right. <laughs> she just, she just, that is the style there. I remember feeling that way visiting. Well, but also in our own, it, you and I, you are more femme than I am. Uh-huh. And you are lesbian and I am straight, but you are more femme. You like, and that's been true our whole lives. Yes. And so I am relieved to live in a place where, as being a straight person, <laughs> right. I am not expected to wear makeup or, you know. Right, very true. Because in some cities, in some cultures, you would have social pressure to present as more feminine as a straight I, woman. My first marriage, I was had more pressure to do it. So Yeah, but anyway. yeah, and that, that's in the relationship level, but in, in the culture of your city. Right, right. You look like a straight lady. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. Did I tell the story on the podcast before? Stop me if I did. But this whole thing about Julie. Oh, my God. This is hilarious. So our um, Aunt Julie, who's our play aunt, um, is uh, turning 80 this year. And she has she's uh, married briefly later in life, but generally has always been on her own. She and her best friend, Dina, who lives in a different state, who lives in California, for 
decades went to the same timeshare in a in Hawaii um, every year for the certain months that they had the timeshare. And it was always the same people there. And some of those people, it was a great group of people. A lot of them were gay couples, some were straight, other lesbian, or uh, they were lesbian couples and straight couples and gay couples, right? They're going there literally decades and meeting together. Julie and Dina go there every year together, share a room. And at some point, like, she's telling me some story about that when I visited her. And she's like, can you believe it? Like, these gay guys assumed we were lesbians. (laughs) And I was like... It was yes, of course. at that time, the 80s and 90s, you probably weren't going to talk about it. Our on D didn't talk about it, right? Right. You are women from Oregon and Northern California with sensible haircuts, wearing Birkenstocks and comfortable pants. You look like <laughs> lesbians. You're sharing a room. You go on vacation together every year. Why are you? Off- I was like, it would be offensive not to perceive you as lesbian. Like, right. who does right. that? Women don't go on vacation. Like, you know, like, it's like, oh, this is my friend. <laughs> and then you guys make jokes about getting a date, but you never get a date, which is literally who they both are. <laughs> of course they assumed you were a couple and just not talking about it. You're, that is all of the signs of a closeted couple <laughs> or not right. even closeted, but just like, we're just not, we're just not naming this because it's an era where we don't talk about this. Right. And when people, and like the, I think the people who named it were literally gay guys, like, you know, who were also a couple were like, and they were like, she was telling me like, can you believe they said that to me? That's offensive. And I'm like, look at you, look at your haircut, <laughs> look at your pants. You look like a lesbian. <laughs> You're a woman in Oregon. Every woman in Oregon looks like a lesbian. I don't know the difference. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so just kind of, you know, that was the previous version of me seeing all the hipsters at the coffee shop being like, is she gay (laughs) or (laughs) is it just a cool haircut? (laughs) Is it just Oregon and we're just like, whatever, everybody's androgynous. That's what we do. Right. Anyway, that was all three. But she told me the story like I was going to back her up and be mad at these gay guys with her. And I was like, girl. <laughs> I don't know if you've met Dina, but she's getting um, Northern California, <laughs> non makeup wearing, sensible haircuts, <laughs> pants that are comfortable, <laughs> Tiva, Tivas. Yes, you guys look like, like who, who does my vacation together every year for decades? Right. And oh, yeah. don't have other, don't have men in their lives. Don't have husbands or partners. Right. <laughs> like, of course, course they're they assuming you're a couple, you weirdo. <laughs> of course they did. Anyway, I still, we still laugh about that because now she brings it up how I pointed that out to her. Like she never thought of it? No, she yeah. literally thought that I was going to back her up. Like, I, and you know, I think, again, being of her era, I think she was sensitive to that because she would be accused of being a lesbian for being an assertive woman and all the things. And so she, I think she's got a sore spot around that about being right, accused of right. being gay because right. of because not necessarily having, because you know, it was an era where it was not common to be unmarried for as long as she was right, right. for most of her life right, and all the other things. So I think she has a soft and has a sensitive spot about being perceived as a lesbian because I think she thought that like men wouldn't approach her for that reason. Right. But I'm like, well, (laughs) I would have thought so too. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. The Venn diagram again, kind of like that Venn diagram of whatever else we were talking about, but the Venn diagram of <laughs> feminists of that era, women from Oregon and lesbians, it's kind of a circle <laughs> in terms of fashion choices or right. the way they might express them, themselves in conversation or things like that, right? Right. Okay. So Bobby made a sandwich. Oh, Bobby made a sandwich and it wasn't <laughs> This is not a lesbian book. <laughs> There's nothing in this book. There's Emily. We think Emily's gay. Or at we least she's em- masculine presenting. Right. But there's like... We, we took Bobby made a lesbian sandwich. Yeah, but Bobby made a sandwich. Lady Horbury had, did some coke. Now yeah, we're Emily some was gay. And Emily was gay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We went on a whole thing about my feelings about getting COVID at the at that time, which was just like it was a week ago, right now, where I was just like everything hurts. All I wanted, you know. So anyway, <laughs> okay. Bobby was getting a sandwich. Bobby's getting a sandwich. Lady Horror and Emily is gay. Okay. <laughs> so, so let's solve this murder. So we have some random clues we have to talk about. So the aforementioned Emily was outside of her room. Um, I don't know in the beach and I don't know why she was alone. But anyway, she got hit by a bottle that oh. was thrown out. No, no, no. A... She was swimming. Oh, she was swimming? Oh, she okay. was out there doing more athleticism. Oh, okay. is unattractive for women. And while she was in the water, a bottle flew out of the hotel and and almost hit her right and so she was complaining about that that someone be so irresponsible give a hoot don't pollute don't throw your bottles out of your hotel window into the ocean and then um like why would somebody just put the bottle in their garbage okay the second clue um praro went into the pixie cave and he smelled not number five because agatha christie couldn't see it was something number five it was not but it was like okay you mean chanel number five but whatever right it was a very one of those smells that you would know the two women at the hotel who wore that were either arlena or rosamund right so it was in that cave so um then the chambermaid said somebody took a bath at noon right and i don't remember how they got her to report that because i don't know why well they were asking her to report everything like they were talking about whether kenneth was typing and what she saw and who she cleaned rooms and what she found and blah 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 Um, but then she said somebody took a bath at noon and they said how do you know it was a bath and she was like you could just tell this draining and this goes back to our very beginning when we were people went bathing and that meant swimming. swimming in the ocean and taking a bath. So bathing and a bath is somehow different. <laughs> but, it's one of those nuanced uses of the words that we don't understand because we don't use it that way. Because um, I'm as an American, if someone said I was bathing, 
I would think they were taking a bath. <laughs> right. And I don't know if that's still true, if that's changed over time in England or not. But And then the other big clue was when they investigated the room of the daughter. Linda. Mm-hmm. Linda. Perot found all these like things and he's running around doing his like very obvious like I found something face and he's like there's there's something in the grate there's and there's wax and there's things and he's he clearly like feels like he found something in the room and then we remember that was burnt in the fireplace yeah it was mostly things that had burnt and some candle wax and then he finds out that she lied about going swimming that this morning that he she actually went to the shop so it sounds like almost like you know if you could take the boat to the mainland and go to the resort gift shop kind of thing is what she did right but she you know she had to go and she bought off the candles. island yeah she bought candles and apparently you know it was one of those comical scenes where they came and like Christine had come to her her room and then she like is surprised and drops everything and exposes that she couldn't have been swimming because you just got all the stuff from the store. Oh, and then there was something about a book that she was hiding what book she was reading that she'd actually taken something from the resort library, but was hiding what the contents was. And so Praro was like snooping around her room and found this book. And it was like witchcraft and poisons yeah <laughs> all of the things it was like you know twilight um and um oh damn I'm, what was the 90s show about witches buffy the vampire slayer no no um i mean there were there were witches in buffy or, but, also lesbians to bring it back to that sorry <laughs> let's see the craft was a movie no, wasn't there one about the three witches who would be like, and the, that one, Alyssa Milano, oh, wasn't it? Oh, yes. And Shannon Doherty was there. Right. Yeah. What was that one? Oh, man. What is that? We got to Google it now. Charmed. Charmed. Yes. But it's like, that's the most perfect teenage girl, like. Totally. Oh, you've lost me because Alyssa Milano is so hot. <laughs> now I'm just looking at photos of Alyssa Milano, Milano being a, a hot 90s witch. And I have no idea what this podcast is about. I'm sorry. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Bobby had a sandwich. Hey, this is the most lesbian of our podcast. <laughs> Who knew Emily's character would bring that out in us? <laughs> Apparently. Okay. So. Oh, yeah. So she had she had checked out the charmed book of hexing your stepmother right from the hotel right library basically and bought candles and was like being so, yeah so it. she did a whole basically what he deduces is, is that she'd done a whole basically ritual where right. she'd like done it like you know burned a maybe a wax version of her and maybe a lock of her hair like that like yeah there was and there was a pin stabbed her with the pin or yeah it was a whole thing that the book had said how to kill someone using witchcraft in the book and she'd follow those directions in the morning of the day that she died right so the um, first false reveal of this is that wait wait um, wait, wait before you get okay, to that we have sorry, to do the picnic sorry. we have to do the weirdest fucking picnic oh yeah that's crazy 
But before we even get to that, we have to say there's one more clue, which is in that pixie cave, there was some lunch boxes filled with heroin. <laughs> I forgot about the lunch boxes of heroin. That was such a like that whole oh. like drug trafficking side plot. I just couldn't. I just I erased that. And the second time I read it, I was like, nope. I'm still not accepting this subplot. I just couldn't just not attend to this and pretend that didn't happen. I just was just like. You're doing too much. This is not also Breaking Bad. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. We don't have also drug trafficking in this. I, I do not. I do not consent to this. But and it was. But yeah, you say because you you did not erase it from your memory. So tell them what it was. Yeah, there was lunch boxes. Like it literally said sandwiches, and then you opened it up, and there was a thing that said salt, and it was filled. What they thought was so-called salt, and then the and then the mustard, and they're like, "Wait a minute, maybe this isn't salt." And then it was seems to be an opioid product. (laughs) But um, and it was the first time I, you know, it was interesting to think about the timing wise because they said da 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 da, otherwise known as heroin, and opium because you know if you read um, right twenties and thirties would have been. Opium. Yeah, but yeah. this is heroin. So, anyway, but um, so yeah, and you know, because there was at some point that um, the local inspector is like, I'm just going to turn this over to the Scotland Yard. Nothing to do with the heroin. It's clearly the nouveau reach guy that no one likes. He's the heroin. It turns dealer. out that Blatt is actually an extension of the Sackler family. Right. <laughs> that was a joke. That was an opioid joke yes thank you for okay. explaining <laughs> bringing it full circle now. okay i'm sorry wait full circle it always even talked about the sacker family oh okay <laughs> bring it wait I, uh, where's the circle <laughs> wait i just <laughs> That is not the right phrase. <laughs> Bringing it into the modern era. Bringing it. Oh, oh making it topical, political. Oh, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Like, this circle would just take us back to lesbians. <laughs> we just don't think. What? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I'm crying. <laughs> I'm crying from laughing. Oh my god! <laughs> was the best thing about having first... the best and worst thing about having a sister is they call you out with such <laughs> poignant timing. <laughs> She's like, "What circle is that?" You're like, "You're right. There actually is no circle." <laughs> well, I was just I'm confused. Just... <laughs> <sighs> I was just really confused because you were like bringing it full circle and I was like, did we talk about that clues? I mean, they're horrible people. Have they changed how circles work? (laughs) But like, I, or did I forget that we talked about them earlier? I thought we were mostly talking about lesbians today. (laughs) 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 Okay, Bobby got a sandwich. 
Yes, Bobby got a sandwich. Um, so, okay, so Mr. Blatt is dealing drugs, he's dealing opium from the Pixie Cove. Heroin, but yes, yes. And then the cops are like, let's turn this over to the Scotland Yard because yeah, it's how really... how prevent that from happening? I don't remember how Parvo talked him out of that. I don't remember either. But he was like, don't turn it over to Scotland Yard. I want to hold a picnic. <laughs> it's the weirdest fucking thing because you think it's going to be Poro bringing everybody together and then doing dun-dun-dun, you did it. But he doesn't. He literally... Yeah, it's so weird. And he it's very contrived. It is obviously contrived in a way that we will understand that it's contrived. So he like gets everybody to come and anybody who's like I don't feel like coming he he you know peer pressures everybody into coming except for Linda so, the right. teenager right everybody but Linda end up ends up agreeing and so he they end up going to Pixie Cove which is fucking weird cuz why would you have go just go have a picnic where the murder happened this is a delightful time <clears throat> right and then and, what was interesting was he was like, oh yeah, this is where the cove is supposed to be. I wonder if anybody can find it. And that's where the first tell about Christine being a little bit different than we thought of her. Because in the book overall, Christine is complaining about being perceived as weak and oh, poor Christine, her husband's into this other lady. Everybody sees me as small and weak, but I'm actually tall. She's complaining about that, right? And I guess that that's true. The people are kind of seeing as like, oh, that poor thing. Um, but during his contrived picnic, he's like, I wonder if anybody can find Pixie Cove. It's supposed to be around here somewhere. And all of a sudden, Christina's Spider-Man. Right. Crawling, crawling along the rocks and doing all the things. So she's showing both a lack of uh, high diversion that she's supposed to have and a real right. athleticism. Right. And, you know, when we think about the evil plan of it all, you're like, you couldn't keep the act up, girl? You're doing this damsel thing. Right. But it seems like she's just so seduced by this delightful picnic time. It's just like happy family. We're at the family reunion. <laughs> now we're looking for, I was picturing you and me and Justin and Susanna, like, looking for secret caves like just frolicking in the wilderness like hey, all of a sudden what? it's what's that for secret caves on proposal rock really cool that's what i'm saying i could totally picture our you know this is it's like having a childhood in oregon you're crawling around rocks looking for secret caves then you get pinned in one and your parents have to come rescue you. That's what being that's what being a child in Oregon is about. Right. <laughs> so right. I can totally picture the joy of this. But it's weird because they're all grown-ups because the one teenager didn't come. And, and like, they're going in the middle murder. of a murder investigation and at the scene of where the person was killed. So that all seems weird. Yeah, that whole scene bugged me. Like, I would have loved if he had taken them to a picnic to a completely different location. Like, right. let's go on the or let's... Right. That would make more sense. Because going to the scene of the crime and then being like... If someone were to find the secret cave, who didn't already know about it, and weren't afraid of heights, how would they act? Christine, right. would you like to show us? 
Yeah, the, that whole picnic thing was just so, it felt out of character for Proro because he likes to bring everybody together when he has all of the information. And then, uh, yeah, why would everybody Right, that's actually go- a really good point because I saw the argument for this because he wanted to see, like he got it, he got data from it, but I'm, I, but I see what you're saying in the fact that like, he only does investigations like you know he only does like sets up scenarios that he knows what he's looking for and so was he testing to see if she was climbing he was i mean yeah you seem like a spider woman let's see if you really are right and but so you're right that is weird that he that that you're right that he set it up in that way and that and that you fell for it right so that part was very frustrating to me and he could have just said at that moment hey, it looks like you don't have a friend and it looks like you are pretty athletic. Oh, it looks like you are actually as tall as Arlena and your body's not that different of a shape from Arlena. Oh, like he could have done the thing, but instead we had this red herring of we come back and Linda, the teenager, had tried to kill herself with Christine's sleeping pills. So it's so sad because somehow she thought that she had killed her stepmother using this stupid book on witchcraft where she created a figurine and stabbed it with a pin which totally makes sense right if i was a 15 year old or a my time year old if i did a whole ritual to kill someone and they died that day i'd feel pretty responsible right you know even if i know i didn't strangle them i'd be like i spiritually you know, I intended for them to die. I did this ritual. Who knows, like, if, you know, whatever book I got it out. If I did that, I would, and then they died that day. That oh, would, yeah. I would definitely feel responsible at 15 and now. Right. So she was feeling responsible, and which is why Praro could have, the whole time he could tell when they were interviewing her, he could tell she was hiding something. He figured out from the clues in her room that she had, like, you know, burned or done some kind of a ritual. And so she had gotten sleeping pills from Christine and taking like a whole bottle and it was so sad and scary yeah she's okay at the end but I was right. like right. She he, comes could out of have, it. he could have forestalled that right and and he because he, he definitely suspected what the truth was and they somehow still all went away and left her alone right which was and he suspected stupid. both that he she'd done some sort of ritual thing and that she was tortured about it. And so if I were him, I would have been like, he didn't suspect the husband. So let's let, why don't you, why doesn't your dad stay here with you and make sure you don't swallow a bottle of pills or something. Let's leave, a, let's leave an adult with this angsty teenager who feels responsible for this death. Right, right. So I was. So when they get back, um, you know, obviously we're foreshadowing that Christine is part of the, the murder plot. And they're like, She's like, oh, how sad. She tried to kill herself. I guess that means that she is the murderer. Okay, bye-bye. That's the end. That was like a red herring, and it felt like a stupid red herring that he could have forestalled. And I would say in this way, like, I don't know if I'm quite using this term correctly, but there's a little bit of, like, trauma porn in it. Like, right. Yeah. Like this teenager almost dying and her angst about this whole thing like feels like it was too much. And as a reader, it didn't feel necessary. And I don't know. Does that, you know, do you know why I'm saying that? Totally. Like, totally. When you put the reader through this kid almost dying, she's a child. 
Right. And she almost killed herself over guilt over some teenage shit. Over some charm stuff, right? You're right, you're a teenager, stuff. you want to be a witch, you get this book, you try it out, you do a thing, and then like your stepmother actually dies. It's totally feasible that that could happen. Totally. And so like this this kid almost dying, I didn't like it. I didn't like right. that that sort of like that being the red herring, that being the emotional twist, that's the fake ending. It felt manipulative. I didn't like it. I didn't like it either. And and it felt like because there was a scene early on the first time that Carl um, interviews Linda and she's like I liked her fine she, we, I was fond of her which we knew was a total lie and then they asked about do you think anybody wants to kill her and it was a line about well thinking about killing her and actually killing her is a totally different thing and Linda says that and Paro looks at her and says yeah it is a totally thing thinking about killing somebody and actually doing it is different so there was this preview that he knew right she, she might have a... wanted her dead and then feel guilty because she actually did die but it's not your fault and so like he had that preview and then he went on for days and then did this fucking stupid picnic which could have been done with him just taking christine and patrick out for a right you know, like no, that's a really little... good point. And like, I would have been okay with this twist if it was like almost that moment, and then they walk in and she's about to swallow the pills, and they're like, "Right, don't do that. It's not your fault." Right, because we know that she's done that kind of thing before. Agatha Christie has done that thing before, where she, like stop somebody right before it happened. Right, <laughs> I would have, I would have been okay with it as a, as a like, this is the red herring if it almost happened but her being like in a practically in a coma we don't know if she's going to be okay like it was too much yeah and, and it felt irresponsible of praro yeah for having known that this kid was probably on that path and there's probably a murderer who also sees that and will take advantage of it right so the right. murderer is going to be like oh my god sounds like you killed her uh, these are my sleeping pills i'll leave them right here in case you have insomnia or right. suicidal ideation right right yeah and no, so I... praro could definitely have predicted that behavior yes his yeah. whole psychology thing you know like he should be able to predict that behavior so it felt irresponsible of him totally so okay so we're mad about that part of the book because it's unpro like both letting linda attempt suicide and the picnic was unpro like i see what you mean no i didn't think of the picnic as unpro no i kind of saw it as like oh you're trying something new pro but i do see what you're saying that it, it didn't make enough it didn't make sense that he forced everybody to go because he yeah because he could have just said hey christine and patrick i need your help thing you know because he's done that before to like yeah the whole like assist me with the investigation thing that's a great trope right but the picnic was stupid and like right and then Praro goes in the cave and you're like what right yeah so anyway I don't know what what Agatha was doing but you know fair I mean sometimes she does stuff that where Praro is a little bit off where She's been writing him for years, and that's okay. I mean, I understand that, but like, uh, yeah. So, um, anyway, so now we're getting to the. There was one last thing, which was evidence of two women who were strangled to death. Right. 
Wasn't um, that after the reveal? No. Okay. He was reading about these two women. One of them had no suspects at all. And the other one, the suspect was her husband. Um, she was found by up until the point she was found. And so he couldn't have done it. And she was found by a teacher. Right. So then he was like, hmm. So then came the big reveal. So then um, what happened was, so remember the $50,000 that she had been given. Oh, oh yeah. Because we forgot one other clue that only Christine said was that she overheard Arlena saying that she was being blackmailed. And oh yeah. And then when they went to her bank account, the fifty thousand dollars was down to like fifteen. Right. The, the, yeah, she so she had fifty thousand dollars that she'd gotten from that old rich man was very diminished. And um and so they're like, Oh, she must have been blackmailed. And so then like but the big reveal was so. And the question about that was and Praro's whole thing was like, she was kind of a shameless woman. So what could you blackmail her on? Because she's just doing whatever the hell she wants to do. She's cheating on her husband right in front of everybody. And so he was, he didn't really buy the blackmail argument. Cause first of all, blackmailers don't kill the person who's paying them. Right. It's in the reverse. You kill the blackmailer, not the other way around. Right. And, um, uh, she seems so shameless that he couldn't picture something that would be so scandalous that she would pay blackmail on it. Right. Right. So then the big reveal is that she wasn't a woman who preyed on men. Men preyed on her. That right. was the big reveal. Is right. that men would be like, you're super hot. I like you. Give me things. And she'd be like, okay. And that happened over and over again. Where she- I blame my friend Erica who I work with, but I just recently spiraled back into the whole Nexium thing. Nexium? Yeah, the cult thing. With you don't necessarily want to know. It was a whole okay. modern day cult thing. Okay. Well, basically, this happens, right? There. Th- this is this actually is realistic. It doesn't sound realistic, but it is realistic. Beautiful women can be manipulated by certain types of men into giving away their power or money or whatever it is yeah yeah so yeah so and so that was the case in this nexium cult thing um where you're like for that guy (laughs) you know and like all these women were giving him money and all sorts of crazy gross sex uh cult stuff right um but in this so i feel like that's the thing in this case where you think that she's the bomb soul so she's pulling the sexual control strings as it were but actually once she's hooked she's actually had a track record of giving money away to men um and there was some sort of letter that they found in her room where that had happened with another guy where he was like i love you i love you i love you you're beautiful thank you for paying off my debts you know it's helped me i'm everything's going to be fine in the future one day and so clearly, like, there was a, a, a letter from someone else who had had this kind of relationship with her where he was, like, right, you know, complimenting her, but also clearly maybe using her a little bit for her money. Right, right. 
and the the guy who had given her money was an older guy who hadn't quite because they what the big reveal was is that she wasn't a bombshell who could control men she was a hot girl who men were attracted to and then would get tired of and then would think oh i'm only going to keep you around because right which is again the second time she's done that theme of like men get bored with the very hot dumb girl Right, which I feel to I get it feels a little too on the nose. It's like okay, Agatha, like you, you clearly like have a type of woman that you're really angry at. <laughs> right, like, right, she keeps beating up on this, <clears throat> the type of woman who takes the attention of other, right, you know, of men yeah. who, sh- who you know who are in relationships or things like that. So she clearly like has I I don't mean to say vendetta, but you know what I mean. She clearly like has an issue there, but well, she likes to vilify or say that like. They initially you think that they have all this power but really men aren't interested in them right which you know i mean and i think that that's what all women who just feel regular as opposed to super beautiful which even the people i know who might be considered super beautiful don't necessarily like think that. of themselves that way but right you know but women who are regular are just like well I'm interesting and I'm smart and I'm, you right. know, you know, so you start to be like, look, oh, I've, I've been in this position a hundred <laughs> times. The position I'm trying to say, I'm judging Agatha for, I've been in that position a hundred times where I'm like, well, yeah, she's a sexy lady and everyone seems to like her or the person more importantly to me, the person in my life that I care about the, whose attention they're going towards attention right. to that person, but I'm a better person and I help children and a hospital and right. uh, you know, like I, I totally under, and I think that's why yeah. I'm judging it is right. because I totally understand. I, I relate to and judge that right. thing to be like, and again, I, it's fascinating how that loops back into our sandwich conversation earlier where it's like that, you know, what kind of femininity is allowed? What kind of sexuality is allowed? You know, and, and the way that women judge sexuality and femininity on other women when it doesn't right. fall into quite the right lane. And though the response to men of it or our sexual right. partners, like, you know, in my case, it's not men, but the response of our sexual partners to other women who have a different lane of femininity of us or the same lane but doing it better <laughs> or right, in a way right, that's right. our partner's attention because our partner's an asshole this is not about me this is not my current partner i'm not talking about my current partner <laughs> right 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 yeah <laughs> but yeah so I, I i did find that interesting and it wasn't a you know just like we talk about when it's racism or classism is it a reflection on that or a Right. of it and right. i don't think she was commenting on it but no. i found myself having an interesting conversation with myself about right and, this and is... in our conversation like emily is... rosamond christine a... i mean agatha writes about women in a very interesting way and this is not so here it is the victim is the beautiful woman that everybody was jealous of and by the end of the book you are not supposed to be jealous of her. You're supposed to feel sorry for her. I mean, not just because she was murdered, but before like that, she was a pitiful figure. Right. Her husband was staying with her out of loyalty. He didn't love her anymore. He was bored with her. He was 
realized she was an idiot, but he was a loyal guy, so he wasn't leaving. And her yeah, lover and felt sorry for her. Like that was the thing. He was staying right. with her because he felt sorry for her. Right. Yeah. And so like that she turns into so not only is Agatha killing her rival or you know like whatever Agatha might be imagining her rival is she kills her and makes us pity her oh, you man, know that's such good revenge like there's a there's a couple of women in my life who are not in my life at all but who have been that like sort of like Newman of my right right previous relationships uh, if I could write fiction where they're both dead and pitiful that might right. be really cathartic. Right. Yeah. Like, way to work <laughs> you know, it out there, Agatha. You can already think of three women where I would be like, I'm writing you in that role. That's really bad. I need some more therapy. Um, by the way, just <laughs> want to say thank you for the nice Seinfeld reference to the 90s. Because if nobody <laughs> understands, because not only did she say Newman, but there was a fist slam you shake your air. fist in the air and say newman and i don't i actually don't even love seinfeld but actually my first girlfriend uh did you ever meet dana yeah oh yeah i could remember oh my god totally oh yeah now i remember <laughs> um but yeah she was a seinfeld uh fan terrible person but a seinfeld fan and so like i ended up watching like all the reruns or whatever with her and so yeah so if you are not familiar. I think anyone who's listening to us is probably also familiar with Seinfeld. Just I feel like the Venn diagram of listeners and all that exposure would probably be. But anyway, maybe I wouldn't have if it weren't for Dana. So, anyways, it's like his nemesis, but right. like a very mild nemesis. So like this guy in his apartment building who always just like they're they're out for each other. There's someone at work who I'm always like, I won't I won't say her name, but like I'm always like ah, like she's my nemesis. Right, and, and, right. You know. <laughs> And so there's, there's women in the, when I was in less healthy relationships that were the object of the triangulation. And I can see now with therapy and maturity that it's about the partner who's using this other feminine character to triangulate. Right. You have those big feels, but the per the part of me who's still that age, who still has that, who's holding on to that emotional experience would still like to fictionally, not really, you know, give that same experience, that the same catharsis of being like, not only is she dead, but she's pitiful. Right. <laughs> but I liked her and she was murdered. Yeah. <laughs> I and can see why sorry for her. she yeah. wrote that more than once because she needed to process that. And we know that she went through a relationship transition, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. Her first marriage ended. And so I understand that that needing to write that character who may have been the object of triangulation in your previous relationship into a murder victim. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. But it's interesting. Now that I say it out loud, it makes me sound psychopathic. So I'm not going to actually write that. But <laughs> no, but I mean, but, but it also what a difference between death on the Nile. We didn't necessarily feel sorry so much for the murder victim. Because she was still rich and wonderful and, you know. But this one, by the end of the book, we felt sorry for her. Like, that nobody actually really liked her. Including her husband, her stepdaughter. Yeah. Nobody actually liked her. Well, wait, what's the one? Did we read it yet? Or is it in the future? What's the one where it's almost the same plot, but it's like they're... 
they switched the drinks and the wrong person drinks the wrong drink. Oh, that was Triangle at Rhodes. Okay, yeah. So that's also very similar, right? Like so right, and, that was and like I feel like in that ago. case yeah. it was the same thing where you said four years ago, but not I mean four years before this book came out. <laughs> right. I mean, four but years, it, yeah. But but it's kind of the same thing where it's the beautiful right bombshell whose husband actually can't stand her. Right. Yeah. And in no that case he's her. the murderer. Yeah. And yeah, there's this huge I mean, it's at a beach. There's you're right, the Triangle washed Rose up is very woman. Similar. A lot of Triangle Roads is almost the same story except husband's not involved. Yeah, the solution is different, but it's a very similar setup. Very similar setup. So the solution is once again, Agatha Christie's best part of this is figuring out how to get somebody killed with an alibi and da 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 she figures out it's pretty cool yeah so basically what happened was it was patrick christine and christine set up this linda that they were going to go to the beach from 10 30 to nope. nope you made it gay huh you said christine set up oh with linda sorry yeah. i thought you were i thought you were saying with the murder victim. No, 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 no. I was like, no, Christine didn't set her up. Then no, it would have no. been fun. Now you made it gay. No, <laughs> Christine set up with Linda, the kid. The kid. So they were going to gonna have go an to the alibi. Beach. And so she was going to, she said, let's go to the beach from 1030 to 1145 to Gold Coast. After that, I have, I have tennis after that. I have tennis at 12. But and then, she very cleverly snuck into Christine's room. Linda's room. Prior to this. Linda. Dang it. Names are hard. <laughs> Christine snuck into Linda's room. Linda is an old lady name. I'm sorry. You can't be a child named Linda. No one is ever 15 named Linda. All Lindas were born at 42. <laughs> it can't be a 15 year old named Linda. problem. It's so true. Oh god! Oh god! It has to do with the way names are go out of in and out of fashion. Yeah, right. I just can't make a child name. Anyway, so Tristine goes into Child Linda's room, and uh, when she's not there, and adjusts her watch to be like fifteen minutes forward or something. Back in That's some it. way in time. Yes. <laughs> no, this is what's important. She she's bringing it. forward or falls back. <laughs> she brings it. It's back. And so they're actually at the beach from like 10.15 to 11.30. And then, um, so then he leaves. Now, the other thing that Christine does is the reason she was wearing those loose cover-up pants and shirt. Beach pajamas. Beach pajamas is that she'd actually put fake tanner tanner on her like we would call Which, it tanner. good on them i didn't know that they had like uh you know self tanner you know that that sort of like instant tan right at that time yeah i guess they did so yeah so she'd put on instant tanner and then hid it under there because like she was famous for being super super pale again i relate as a person who is very you know Looking like a high, looking like a whiteout pen at the beach. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so, but, but she put it on her arms and legs. But right, then she, so she she covered herself in this stuff, and then wore her covering flowy stuff that she'd been wearing the whole time, so no one thought that was weird. Right. So then she could, 
as the girl's swimming in the water, she leaves, right? And she leaves Gulf and then climbs go- up and down like the cliff ladder thing, whatever, to go from one cove to another, from Gold Cove to Pixie Cove, which we have been this whole time conditioned to think that she cannot do because she has a fear of heights. But actually, she's Spider-Man. Right. And then, which we found out at the picnic. So then Arlena had been told by Patrick, her lover, who had been, by the way, taking money from her. Is why that 50,000 pounds had gone down to 15. And because he kept, he kept getting money out of her. Right. And that was the reason for the murder is because she was getting money out of, um, and like he, yeah. So that was the reason for the murder. Cause why kill her was also part of weird. Um, well, yeah, because she had been giving him money, but it was like, she was about to run out and her husband was going to figure it out. It was kind of, she was about to hit all hit the fan because he wouldn't have killed her if he could keep getting money from her, but it was about to all hit the fan. Yeah, because it was a little bit unclear to me why they had to kill her now. Because right, I tried to catch to... that right, but I think, I think she had maybe threatened to talk to her husband about it, or something. Yeah, or maybe because just she was out of money, and then he disposed of people. And they did sort of get into the fact that like he kind of also got off on the murders, right? That right. there was a bit of a you know psychopathic part of it, and so he right. was like, "Hey, she's out of money. I feel like getting a strangle in." Right. And so right. part of that was part of it. So then she, he told her, meet me at Pixie this morning. So she went there and then he didn't show up and did this whole act of like wondering where she was on purpose, waiting to until... make a very obvious show of like, I am not with her. Look how, how I'm not with her. I have an alibi. And then she's with someone else. She's with this blackmailer. And then <laughs> he had told her if any comes hide in the cave so right. when uh christine spider-man down she hid in the cave uh harlena held hid in the cave and this christine took all of her beach pajamas put on the hat that looked just like the other hat and lied and, down and like to- a wig because i think she had red hair Right, right, right. Yeah. So they so had... she, it was the hat with the red wig, so it was very distinguishable from the from the blonde hair. Right, right. And, and then, then she's got her fake tanned arms and legs and they're around the same build. Right. Which yeah, people hadn't really thought about because they kept on talking about how the blonde was like smaller, but well, actually smaller. She just was kind of playing that up. So right, then... she was playing out like damseling. Right. So she played dead body and then Patrick and Emily rode around and then he's like, oh my God, she's dead. And so then as soon as Emily rode back to go tell people that they had found the dead body, then Christine ran back up the ladder and go back to painting and be like, hey, uh, Linda, she went to go take the bath. Ah, the secret bath. Thank you. So she went to go take the secret bath to get the the crap off her and she had and time because she had adjusted linda's watch right and so she went and took a quick bath and then was showed up a little bit late for the tennis match at noon but not a lot right and then um arlena who was basically hiding in the cave waited and and the was like oh darling come on out and then 
as soon as he said that she came out and he strangled her and then she really was the dead body but she was dead about five minutes later than you know like when they discovered so a question i have about this part yeah if we're okay with this if it's time to ch- have challenges i don't know how big this beach and cave and cove and all this stuff is but like I don't think there would be a lot of soundproofing or sound barrier between the cave and the beach from the way it's described. So when she's in the cave, like, hee hee, I'm about to be my lover. I'm hiding in the cave. This is a fun adventure. And when he's like, oh my God, she's been strangled. It's Arlena. Go for help. I'd be like, huh, that's weird. Good question. Yeah, I mean, because it's hard like, to tell. I, I would call, and maybe again, it's too late. Maybe she came out and was like, hey, man, why are you pretending I was strangled? And then maybe it's too late at that point. Right, right. But I was just thinking that, like, her, like, she would hear that interaction and think. And then when, when she, and then the point that she had to, like, hide in the cave when Christine was coming, but then I was like, she's going to hear Christine coming. And maybe Christine was like, I am walking down the beach. What a beautiful day. Anyone around here should sure hide in a cave. But then once she goes and plays dead, Arlena might come back out because she's not moving or making noise. And if I'm, I'm again, I'm, if I'm supposed to be hiding, waiting for my boyfriend, um, and then someone's just laying on the beach playing dead, how would I know not to come out of the cave? These are my questions. I also have the question rosamund was on the cliffs overlooking the the beaches how did she not see christine go by her oh yeah i didn't understand the landscape well enough to know that like she was overlooking that part of it i sort of assumed there was like a third area that rosamund was overlooking yeah i i was confused because because they were talking about she could see Patrick and Emily in the water. Oh. So, but I don't know because, like, where was she overlooking that? That's, that is a good question. Because how I was sort of he... picturing, like, you know, Proposal Rock in Oregon. And, like, if I was looking on one side, there might be two more sides where I would have no idea what was going on. Right. And so that was a little bit confusing. But then, so the secret bath, and going back to our question about bathing. <clears throat> Because the clue, one of the clues was the bottle that she threw out the window, the suntan lotion bottle, because she didn't want a fake, not not suntan, like fake tanner lotion. Yeah, bronzer. Basically bronzer. bronzer. We have a word for that. I couldn't find it. I'm supposed <laughs> to be femme. I should know these words, right? <laughs> but the, well, yeah, and they wouldn't have used that word back then, but the bronzer lotion like she threw that bottle right, out the she, window. That was a major clue because if she'd put it in the trash, they'd have been like, "Who was wearing bronzer?" Which again, again, you're at the beach. A lot of people might be, but right. But anyway, so she threw the bottle out the window. But then the 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 secret twelve p.m. bath, which no one takes a bath at twelve p.m. They you know because the the they were the chambermaid was saying like nobody takes a bath at that time. Um. So that bath, but. Literally, she's right by the ocean. People bathing, bathing, using their word, swimming in the ocean in the morning. She could have just gone into the ocean and wouldn't that have washed off the bra? Yeah, you're, gone- you're so right about that. Like if she had just gone into, but again, 
if I'm her, I'm not worried that bathing would be bad. I'm thinking I'm going to go back to the hotel. I need to change to my tennis stuff anyway. Right. And I'm not going to think that the chambermaid is going to clock a bath or not a bath. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't think, oh, geez, if they if they clock a, a noon bath, that's going to unravel the whole thing. Like, that feels Fair. like special Paro skills. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I, yeah. To me, when I'm planning a murder, which I'm not, but I'm just saying, if I were, <laughs> I wouldn't imagine, like, oh, they're going to be like, who took a new bath at noon? You know, right. I just wouldn't even think of that. That's true. Because she was, yeah, because she had originally told Linda back to the hotel to put on her tennis stuff so yeah. and then and then if you remember that like or remember that what we talked about that in Agatha Christie works and in the life that we also experience we also we often overlook the experience of and the observations of people in service roles so the fact that the chambermaid noticed the bath and that became a thing I think uh, a person might not think to that oh one of the one of the you know people who works here is going to note this bath and it's going to become a whole thing that's true that's true that's a good point that's a good point and if Praro hadn't been there perseverating on like no one will admit to taking this bath right in, in he the really did ask everybody asked every person if they took a bath and they're like no so um then uh what was i gonna oh yeah so then why did they do that whole brig is because Patrick had a perfect alibi up to quarter to 12. And then at quarter to 12 was when they found the so-called Right. And he found body. the body together with Emily. So he couldn't have done it because he was on the beach all morning with Praro. Then he was with Emily in the boat. So they found the dead body. But it was a lie because it was Christine pretending to be dead. And then when they came back, she it was actually the dead body. Right. So that's why, because he had a perfect alibi with multiple people up until they found the the so-called body, and then, and that's why they had to do the body impersonation, um, right? Because then it gave him alibi, and that was the same as this earlier, where a wife was killed, where he was, the husband was supposed to meet her. And said that he was pacing the grounds, but actually he went and killed her. And then her body was found by a local school teacher who turned out to be Christine. And a very similar, like he had an alibi up until. Right. And um, so, <clears throat> like, so. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, so they'd run this before in some way, he and Christine. So again, he sort of got that controlling charming man thing where he gets women to do stuff um and christine just seems to be under his control or he's she's into it or whatever oh yeah it's definitely referred to both that that it was about the money but it was also that he kind of liked the thrill of killing and the reason that praro figured it out is because he remembered this story so he looked up the information about this story and thought it was similar enough to this story and um the stupid picnic had one other besides having Christine drop her act of being athletic um, is that they had people who were out and about who recognized him as the different name husband of the woman who was killed earlier. So like 
that was the other reason. And so at the big reveal, he was like, yeah, you were recognized as Edward Corbin, um, the husband, and not Patrick Redfern. And so then, you know, he tries to reach for Poirot's neck, which, you know, anyway. Oh, yeah, that was actually, that was one of the worst, like, Poirot almost gets killed moments that we have. Because he, yeah. like, goes, he like, starts to rage strangle Poirot yeah, but, in a way that's surprising. Yeah, but then they, they, yeah, then they cut to the next scene, so, you know. And then there's, like, a yeah, there's, like, this side plot of Mr. Blatt. Yeah, the, the Being heroin. a drug trafficker, so they, like, by the way, we're going to arrest him for being a drug trafficker. And then there's the other subplot of Linda surviving her suicide attempt. And again, the trauma that we were all experiencing around that. And and then Pro has a conversation with her of like doing a, ma- a wax figure is not the same as killing someone. And then you felt better after you did the wax, thing, which is actually healthy. It's kind of like burning your hatred or some of this you know like or you know writing that... a novel about killing a figure right. that or reminds you of the woman that you hate figure. in your love triangle <laughs> right is that yeah it's not the same as actually killing somebody and you it's okay you don't have to keep beating yourself up you didn't kill your stepmother and then please don't hate your next stepmother because ken was a mender like hey i've always liked you and we're is like Kenneth, stop trying to rescue damsels in distress. I'm not a damsel in distress. I'm a competent woman, right? Um, who has a business, but then they have a thing where he's like, "Will you give up your business to come and live in the country with me?" And always wanted that, and I was like, "Rosamund." Yeah, it goes very um, taming of the shrew, right? Or something, where you're that, where I was right, like, like it, it goes very much like. Well, will you give up your successful, fascinating, interesting business that you love and it like kind of defines who you are as a person and like live on my estate in the small town? And she's like, I've always wanted that's more that's just what I've always wanted. All of all of me being a career girl was all just because I wanted to you know, to fill the void of not having a husband. And you were like, Oh, Rosamond, I liked you. Right. Like, that, that was why so can't he? Why can't y'all go back and forth for his like village estate and your apartment in, you know, your your nice condo in the city kind of situation? Like, why can't we have both? Right. Why don't you hire more people right. to create the designs and you go to the country estate and and like you know draw your sketches and like you know do your right soriano thing but like don't give it up just to be a wife like it was so it went very like all of a sudden like anti-feminist in a weird way and then it bugged me because yeah that pissed me off that pissed me off a lot i'm like wait she's the successful business person and she's supposed to give it right and i think he's just like old money right yeah he's not doing anything interesting and like right it it sounds boring to just go live in the in the country and stare at him, right? I mean, and if she's, I know, in the nineteen forty, if they're saying a forty year old woman is super old, but I'm sorry, that's like the height of your working career is when you're forty years old. You don't give it's it so up. true, right? Like at that part, she's probably hitting her stride. She's getting over her imposter syndrome. She's like, oh my gosh, my thing really is successful. 
I can really do this. And she's probably going to start to make, start making some amazing designs and scaling her business and all those capitalistic things that are probably terrible, but still, you know, like to be like, I just always wanted to be a wife on an estate. Oh, come on. Why can't you have both girl? Seriously. So that part. So, I mean, yeah, it's super happy, fun, anti-feminist ending. Right. Right. So like, cause we're pushing that him and Arlena were not a match and that Arlena and Patrick were not a good match that Patrick was supposed to be with Christine and Kenneth was supposed to be with Rosamond. So in a way they did end up with the right couples with the right cusples, but only because Patrick and Christine turned out to be murdering couple together. Time. <laughs> but right. And all they- of their, and, and when, what had happened was when Praro had overheard Christine yelling at him about the Arlena situation, it was all orchestrated for him to overhear. Right. Yeah. Cause I wondered about that. Like, why are we, why did, yeah. Why did we hear that conversation? Um, because that wasn't a real conversation. So they had the super fappy fun. We end up with our right couples thing, but yeah, I'm, I'm annoyed. So there's, Wait, I have one question about. I have one plot question. So, what happened to the murderers? Did they kill themselves, or were they no, 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 no? I think they were arrested. They didn't. I just said it's so rare in one of these books that they actually are just like, and then they went to jail and faced trial. That never happens. That was like then they spontaneously ignited (laughs) (laughs) as soon as Paro figured out who it was. No, no, like yeah, you're right, and they. He always hated it when there was a beautiful girl who was part of the so he would have wanted Christine to like spontaneously combust or something <laughs> but yeah so like it's interesting because this book I saw 1982 movie first before I read it oh really yeah and I'm actually trying to think if I ever read it I, I must have, but like it was not one of the ones that I reread. And I'm trying to think because the, the plot contrivance about how the murder was done, I remember from watching the movie with the sun, the bronzer lotion and the, and the watch turning the teenager's watch back and forth. Like I remember that and thinking that was brilliant. Like right, how... it's re- that's really brilliant. But the the rest of it the picnic the anti-feminist ending the now looking back at the weird way being emily and the anti-lesbian like thinking about that but there's a bunch of stuff that just annoys the hell and allowing linda to try to attempt suicide and not stopping it ahead of time that's pretty that's pretty stressful like it's annoying this book is annoying to me it's not pleasure you know like some of the books are like ah this is a good but this one annoys me yeah and for all of those reasons i just listed and and i I wasn't annoyed because i think i thought that the solution was super super smart and i was like yeah you got me that's good um but I also didn't enjoy it. And like like you said, I wouldn't reread it for pleasure. I reread it to be like, what happened in this book again? To you know, to be able to talk about it. But it didn't give me the dopamine that some of them give me, I agree. But I didn't I wasn't mad. It was just sort of like again, 
who are we rooting for Rosamond? But we don't get enough of her to to pull through. We're rooting for Linda, but who has the wrong name for a teenager? <laughs> that's not where I'm at. And but, Pearl um, lets her attempt suicide. Yeah, and that's really not okay. Like you, if once she refused to go, you want him to be like someone that he totally trusts. Like right. tell Rosamond because they're always talking about how Pearl trusts Rosamond and he likes her so much. So send Rosamond to stay back with Linda. Right. Tell her dad to stay back with him. You know, whatever. Like, yeah. Don't just leave this kid who's in torture alone. Right. Yeah. That's Especially just... knowing that there's probably been a murder, and I don't know at that point if he'd been suspecting um, what was gonna who the murderer was, but like, you oh, know, a murderer so. will be very happy that someone else thinks they did it because that's gonna make you know that's what they try to well, do is be he, like, oh, he clearly suspected them because he had the people from surrey i think oh right uh, to identify patrick and christine as the other people so he definitely suspected so right and and he knows that christine has been chatting up linda and so of course she's gonna be like oh that's crazy how you killed your stepmom here's some sleeping pills if you have insomnia you know like we know that she's gonna be trying to do that right and so yeah that really uh, i'm disappointed because there are some times when pro omni like omniscience that's the word can be annoying but you know also relieving but in this case he wasn't omniscient and right. she almost died right so like yeah that's and so, frustrating anyway so i find this book not horrible but not un- but just kind of a letdown yeah, and I, the solution is smart, but it's also so similar to the story of Triangle at Rhodes, right? And like with the with the with two married couples in a love triangle that turns out to be different than you thought, right? And then also similar to Death on the Nile because there's a love triangle that, that turns out to be different than you thought. Well, and also similar to Do you remember way back in the Tuesday Club murders, Miss Marples? You know, the first time we're doing. Where uh, the artist who ends up marrying uh, Miss Marple's uh, nephew uh-huh. tells her story about. Um, did we do this yet? Did we done the Tuesday Club murders? I do not remember. I've read it though, so bring it up. What's the book? Well, so Jane talks about being um, at the coast and doing a painting, and then there's a couple. Oh, totally right. That couple that does that. That does right. the same thing of like going someplace and then they kill the woman and then then the other they, lady imp- imp- impersonates, impersonates the one that's dead. You're right. So yeah, she, it 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 felt repetitive. Although the solution was unique, the right. setup was very familiar, and so you're kind of like yada yada, same thing. Like it doesn't, it's not exciting because it's such a familiar setup. Right, and so yeah, so the 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 bronzer and time thing and that part was great but there's enough holes and enough familiarity with like you've done this before that it's like ah yeah so anyway i mean and and what i what i oh i had something what was it i don't know oh i would say in terms of Prarose progression as a character the difference remember how i think it was triangle at Rhodes where somehow Praro reads the room from the very beginning and mm-hmm. he like says to the woman, 
get out of here before it's too late. And he's meaning don't kill this person you're planning to kill. But as a reader, you initially assume it means, you know, your husband's going to leave you for that woman. Right. Or something like that. And so he somehow can tell the long game. And in this one, he didn't. In this one, he was tricked and he felt a little bit more realistic as a detective because he he was taken in by it, but then figured it out. Although that felt like growth. He did have a conversation with Patrick, who turned out to be the murderer, saying, why did you come here? You should leave. He did say that. Yeah. So, but it's and it, he never because like in the other books he would say at the end like I told you to leave because I knew you were going to strangle everybody, but right. he sort of said that like you should leave because you're being messy with your, you know, traipsing your affair in front of your wife and so it came off like that and he never right he never to be said like, like I told I actually it. met I know you're going to strangle everyone right yeah that's true yeah uh, he cut did a little less omniscience he was more like yeah so yeah. It's it's an interesting one. Uh, the book that I mean the the nineteen eighty two movie, as I said, kind of stuck with me. It's Peter Ustinov playing Poirot, um, who also you know Ustinov did the original Murder on the Orient Express, not Kenneth Branagh. You know, like so, like um, yeah, so we're all kind of into whether Kenneth Branagh is screwing up Poirot. He yes, is. He is. Um, but Peter Ustinov. Um, you know, was the one who did it back in the 70s, 80s. So the 82 movie stuck with me because I remember the solution and it was, it was cool, you know. Yeah, yeah but, interesting. But anyway, so, um, but I haven't watched it recently. I wonder, at like watching the Mia Farrow Death on the Nile, um, I wonder. So good. Yeah, so good. Mia Farrow does such a great crazy murderer thing in that. Right. And the dresses. The dresses. Uh. Anyway, which I still haven't seen the Kenneth Branagh Death on the Night. Oh, and back, now I'm going to use it correctly, full circle, Professor, <laughs> Professor McGonagall, Cotton Butch, Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith. In, in yes. menswear. Yes. Bringing us back to, to uh, masculine characters. Right. And and how Agatha feels about them. But yeah. Amanda feels great about them. Maggie, <laughs> Smith, Maggie Smith was so hot in that movie. <laughs> oh my God. I never would have thought of Maggie Smith as hot, but I, 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 okay. Okay. I mean, she was a much more age appropriate, you know, perf right. for me at that, in that movie than she would be now. <laughs> right. 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 I yeah. never thought I would see her as a, uh, sexual object until i saw that movie and i was like oh look at the suit look at the look at the tailoring is that a tie are those are those uh, oxford shoes (laughs) (laughs) oh god okay then all right yeah (laughs) i like it i mean you know i don't understand it but i like it all right well we should uh I think we've talked. We did it. We did it. We made it through this one. I'm so glad we're back. I'm so glad you're over uh, COVID part 17. Uh, COVID part 17, where I catch it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, God. The cat just tried to attack me. Rude. Um, And hopefully, maybe one of the next episodes we do record will be in person because I'm going to be there. 
Right. So what, we're going to try again. We're going to reschedule. I'll try not to get COVID so that I have to cancel this time. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now I am going to look and see what the next book is. Which... Oh, yeah. We need that. What's the next book? People like it when we tell them so that they can read ahead. I'm saying that like we get any feedback. I'm just, I'm just (laughs) projecting. How do you know what people like? (laughs) Because I am a podcast consumer, and if I were listening, I'd want to know like what's the next book, and I wouldn't be too lazy to look it up. Plus, I might look up the wrong thing and have look up differently than Portia and reading a different book. So, what's the next book? One to buckle my shoe. Okay. I think right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So next time we will be reading one, two, buckle my shoe. All right then. So um, all right. Also- well, this was fun. Have a great night. Goodbye to everyone, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, Robot. Good night. Good night.